Welcome to this week's episode of the Founder and the Force Multiplier podcast, where we explore how founders and leaders work together with their right-hand partners to turn ideas into action and build wildly successful businesses. Today, I am speaking with Monique Hellstrom. After nearly a decade as the executive assistant, producer, and chief of Simon Sinek, New York Times bestselling author and TED celebrity, along with her adventures as an event planner and a two-time small business owner, Monique has had unparalleled experiences and gained unique perspective from thought leaders, executives, middle managers, celebrities, educators, military, social activists, and the general workforce that this world depends on. These encounters have equipped her with the tools necessary to decipher and disentangle common issues plaguing humans and businesses around the globe. And now, as a speaker, activator, and unlocker of human potential, she consults, coaches, and speaks internationally to teach people the most important skills that no one ever taught them before. She has helped individuals and teams understand and utilize their innate talents, master their communication, conquer their organizational roadblocks, and build powerful relationships that will actually progress their career. I have followed Monique's career closely for years. It was definitely a full circle moment for me being able to interview her. Monique is an amazing coach and speaker, and I so appreciate her advocacy for the executive support role, helping leaders and assistants build great partnerships, and for helping all professionals strengthen their communication skills. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I think you will, then be sure to let us know in all the usual places, such as leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this episode. Hi, Monique. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So... Um, you know, I, I think I, I met you a long time ago. It feels like a long time ago. I met you at this small, it was small to me. It was this very intimate retreat in, um, where the heck were we? Seattle. It was Seattle. up in the Seattle area. Yeah. Yeah. So I first, well, of course I had kind of known of you. So I was definitely fangirling when I met you first. Um, but anyway, we'll get into that later. So obviously your career has changed since I originally met you. So tell me a little bit about what your business looks like um, today and just generally about your career path. Sure, sure. Well, I definitely still work with with my people, with my assistants, my executive assistants, my administrative profession. I still do a lot of coaching and speaking and communications training with them. I have started to um, a little, I don't want to call it a placement agency because that just gives it so much weight to it, but I have started actually finding executive assistance for various executives, really making that connection, making that placement, um, finding out exactly what that executive means and what is their, what's the yin to their yang. And then I train them both, getting them up and ready to go, before, you know, to, to fast forward that beginning part where we don't know each other and how do we communicate with each other and what kind of things do we need to know about each other? We sort of fast forward through that part. Um, so I'm doing a lot of that, still doing lots of communication training because you know, that's my favorite, favorite subject to talk about in the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That matching um, that you're providing is, I, I just hear that all of the time from, well, a lot from founders, quite honestly, yeah. that they are, they just struggle with finding the right person. But beyond that, even if they found the right person, then I hear it from the other side, from the assistant side, getting that relationship started is really challenging. Yeah. Um, so like, what are you, what are you seeing are like the first couple of things that you really think those people, like those partnerships need, um, in order to get started on the right, off on the right foot? Sure. Uh, so it's really an identification on both sides of exactly what the needs are. You know, I think a lot of executives jump into the world of 
needing an assistant, needing someone in the administrative profession because they heard from one of their friends that they need one or they just got promoted to, to the place where they finally finally need the assistant. And they go and they ask for advice and they sort of carbon copy what they've heard to try to look for their own person without understanding that they as an individual are very unique and they have individual needs. Their job is unique and their job has individual needs. So what is that exact mirror opposite? What is that heads to that tail? So it really does start, as it always does with leadership, starts with the executives, starts with them really understanding what their needs are. And then when we really find this other human being, um, uh, helping to accentuate those skills that that person has in order to use those for the executive. What what mm. tools do they already have in their toolbox and how do we enhance those with the, with the assistant? And that's what I work on a lot with. What do you have? What skills do you have? What strengths do you have? Where, where are, do you have your innate talents? Let's amplify those and get those really uh, shining to get those in use immediately. Um, and then again, you know, that, that third part is the communication between the two of them and getting that, that started in the beginning, you know, it's like the beginning of any new relationship. It's a dance, you know, you go in on a first date with someone and you're like, eh, uh, uh, and you, you talk over them and you say something stupid and, you, you know, and it's the same thing in this kind of relationship. It's this weird back and forth. So having me as someone or any, any coach to sit in that space and say, hey, executive, you're like this. Hey, assistant, you're like this. This is how you can work better together. It just mm -hmm. amplifies that connection immediately and, and can yeah. help their communication from that point forward. Man, I can see how powerful that would have, I mean, would have been when I started um, my relationship with Adam so many years ago. But I'm just thinking of so many people that I talk to. I'm like, that tends to be like the crux of a lot of the challenges is, um, if they don't do it in the beginning, then it can be a year later, two years later, and they're still not, you know, they eventually get there, yeah. but there still might be a couple of, you know, there's communication challenges throughout the, the relationship, yeah. no matter how long, even Adam and I still have relationship, I mean, communication challenges. Sure. And you will, again, this is a relationship. I use that word yeah. on purpose. You know, this is yeah. something that has to be treated as such. You don't have a relationship with your significant other, your partner for life and, and decide one day, like, I think we're good. We don't need to work on our relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't really need to identify what's going on in our world. We don't need to take a pulse on how we're feeling today. Like that's never going to happen with a partner. So why do we do that with our colleagues? Yeah. You know, so true. Keep that pulse. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or never even become intentional about it in the first place, which is again, you know, that, that initial communication, it's just, it doesn't always, it's not, they're not, no one as intentional about it as I think they could be, or more people can be more intentional about it. Right. 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 And I also see a lot of the, of misunderstandings happening in that first few months between an executive and their assistant. Uh, because again, the executive sometimes has no idea what they actually want from their assistant. So they'll just right. say something or or give a directive in a certain way. Whereas the assistants with our personality were like, oh, he likes it done this way. Mm -hmm. He likes his lunch like this. He likes his travel like this. He likes it because it was asked in the first few months and then they're, they're, on, they're on that pathway. They got blinders on and they're not changing. Whereas you really got to figure out in that first three months, like what systems are there and what can we improve yeah. rather than... Um, Every and reading everything is drama. Reading everything as as written in stone. Yeah, to totally. 
Um, so with the, the communication work that you do, what are, what are you seeing um, just in general or some of the bigger communication challenges, both in this, this particular partnership and just in the daily lives of working people in general? Yeah. You know, I, I, as, as you know, communication is my most favorite topic to talk about because it's, it's something that we don't honestly talk about a lot. We don't concentrate it on a lot. We have this thing that we do all day long with another human being. We communicate, we connect, we share information. And so little do we think about what's about to come out of our mouths and plan how we're going to say it so that the other person can hear us. I think one of the biggest lessons and one of the simplest lessons that I learned, but the hardest thing to grasp onto was that communicating is not about what I have to say. It's about what the other person needs to hear. Because what we want is the other person to understand us Mm -hmm. and to act on whatever it is that we said, you know, whether that's a colleague or that's a relationship, a friend, a boss, a partner, whatever it might be. We want them to do something with that information. So how clear can I make it? And we think about this part where we should be thinking about the other person, this part. And so even just that little fundamental switch is something that, again, is something I I talk to my clients about a lot, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to really think of that and and automatically place that before we go into any conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great shift in in thinking about how to communicate. Do you think that um like behavioral styles play into that at all and how we shift how we communicate so that someone understands? Oh my goodness. So much. We we have nerded out on personality tests and behavioral <laughs> tests before. I am obsessed and we can definitely talk about that. I'm obsessed with personality tests and behavioral tests. I think yeah. nothing has taught me more about how I communicate than taking behavioral and personality and skill sets assessments because that that orients how I communicate. I'm a high achiever. I'm type A. I'm a red and disc. Like I'm a, do- or a dominant and disc. Like there's so much about my personality that is affected into my communication. I talk in bullet points. I talk very fast. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am a facts up front kind of a gal, you know, that absolutely affects how I'm going to communicate. But I've learned that if I'm going into a conversation with a high relationship builder or someone who's really high in strategy, mm-hmm. I can't come in and go, boom, 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 bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. I'm going to be like, you know, <laughs> so I yeah. need to flex my communication so that when I'm going into a conversation with them, they can actually understand and, and, and listen. So I think the, the more you can learn and understand about your skill set, the more you can understand how that behavior affects your communication, the more you can put parameters in place for how you use it. You know, before I go into a meeting, I ask myself three or four questions. Who's in the room? What do they need to hear? What are their um, either titles or job functions or or how can I get my point across? And it's it's quick and easy, but really concentrating on that has changed how I communicate. What's your favorite behavior assessment or your go-to? Assessment. Strengths finders, Clifton Strengths finders. Uh, yeah, I do yeah, love me some Strength Finder, and one of the reasons for that is because I feel it gives you variety of information. It tells you what you're strong in. It also tells you what you're weak in, and mm-hmm. I like that dichotomy rather than you are this. You know, mm-hmm. I I appreciate the DISC assessment. I appreciate some of these other assessments, but being labeled a D puts you in 
the box and that's yes. fine. And some of the things in the box may fit me and some of the things may not. But it's still kind of putting you in a box. Whereas the strengths finder is all about the combination of strengths that you have mm-hmm. and how they work together and then what to do about the weaknesses rather than, yeah. you know, we, we want to concentrate on our weaknesses because we want to bring them all the way up to the top for them to be strengths. Why am I so bad at blank? Well, we should waste a whole lot of time and energy expending effort to try to make us better in something that we're bad at, or we could spend that time sharpening the skills that we already have. Yes. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you that based off of that the strengths finder shows you the, the strengths and weaknesses. We still don't necessarily need to be spending the time on the weaknesses. Right. It's it's okay. just for us to understand how it affects our life. Yeah. You know, again, in strengths finders, my bottom is adaptability. My very bottom strength, my biggest weakness is being, really? I am a rigid person. And that was hard to read when I first read that on there. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, I really didn't think I was that rigid. <laughs> How would that show up in work? That When things change well, often yes. and as an executive assistant, things are constantly changing. But right. when last minute changes that were huge, like uh, you know, whatever it would be. I'm, I'm deciding not to go to Texas next week where there were six meetings set up and flights and hotel and six different rental cars and blah, blah, blah. Like I'd be like, ah, you know, um, so it, it definitely affected me there. But again, instead of me going, oh, this change and, rah, 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 and like really letting it get inside of me, I could say, hmm, that's probably just affecting my bottom adaptability. That's interesting. That's really interesting how that came up, how that presented itself in this situation. Hmm. Yeah. And then I figure out how to work around it. Right, right, right. Just kind of acknowledging it, accepting it, and seeing a path forward. Yeah. Um, when you were just talking earlier about like the communicate, how we need to make sure that we're communicating in a way that someone understands us and that assessments can be obviously beneficial for us to understand how we communicate, how... And even when you go into meetings, you're kind of paying attention to how who the other person is is in the room. How do you identify other people's behavior role styles? Uh, so, I mean, if I get lucky enough for them to take a personality test for my executives, I do have them take that. Otherwise, yeah. you know, I, I look a lot at body language. There's a few things that I look at. So I look a lot at body language. How does someone approach me when I walk in the door? Or what happens to their facial expressions? You can tell if someone is usually big extroverts make big uh, movements. They got up, they want to hug you. They they are moving their arms. You know, maybe people that are a little tend to fall more on the introverted side may not move as much. They don't have as big body movements. They don't have as much facial movement. So I notice things like that. And I also notice what they say. What are the first couple of things that come out of their mouths? Um, hey, where, where are you from? They're interested in me as a human. They want to know they're probably a bigger relationship builder. They probably want to know about me as a human being rather than um, what do you do? That's mm. more of an execution kind of question, you know? So yeah. uh, I pay attention to some of those things. And again, if I can get any insight into their job function or um, what they what they do, what their job title is, that usually helps out as well. Yeah. Yeah. I feel I'm, especially when you're going into a situation blind I'm imagining when you work more closely with a team, you're using either your emotional intelligence or even more structured assessments 
to build that sort of connection. Yeah. Is With that- my coaching clients, I have them all yeah. do personality assessments and we go yeah. through them bit by bit and we really pull apart that onion, try to figure out who you are. Mm. That's the only way you're going to know how to sharpen your tools because so when you know what tools you have. Right, you know right. What tools you're working with. Yeah, no, I love I love that. Um, I did want to ask you a little bit about, again, because when I, I met you, you were still, I believe you were still working with Simon when I met you. Okay. Um, and so can you tell me a little bit about what that transition looked like to starting your own business um, after supporting him for 10 years? I think it was. 10 years, yeah. 10-ish years. Um, you know, how did you go from, you know, wrapping up your work with him to transitioning into starting this whole new venture on your own? What did that look like? Yeah. Um, I know there's lots of listeners and people in, in my world that may want to do the same thing. Yeah. So any advice you have would be amazing. Sure, sure. Well, you know, the transition out was difficult. I made a hundred uh, documents of the things that I did and and uh, tabbed and and bullet pointed every step of the way. And I definitely put a lot of time and energy into setting the next person up for success, which helped a lot for the next person coming in, which I think is something that we can do. And it is incredibly important for us to do for the next generation of those coming in to being an executive assistant is really helping them get set up for success. Um, but I had actually owned my own business before. So I kind of knew the ropes going into it. I think had I not known, it would have been a much harder transition And when I left Simon's organization, I sort of, I knew that I could do what I was doing and help, help people get through the transition that I had gotten through, you know, from not valuing my own skill sets, from not communicating appropriately, from not knowing how to give feedback, from um, not knowing how to enhance the skills that I have and manage my weaknesses. All of these things that I went through, I really wanted to help other people go through those transitions and evolve as well. So I, it, it, it was a, it was almost a no brainer. I had to do it. I had to go into it. Now my company's evolved a few times since then, which is great because I'm the boss and I can do whatever I want. (laughs) Um, But I think one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give those out there that are thinking about transitioning is again, know what you do really well Mm -hmm. and know how to hire people that, know how to do the things that you hate. You know, there is someone out there that loves doing the thing that you hate. Yes. And as a small business owner, as a type A, as a former executive assistant, we think we can do everything. And we pretty much can do everything, secret. However, we will drive ourselves absolutely insane if you really, truly try and be chef, cook, and bottle washer when you're in your own company and doing every little bit of it yourself. Ask for help. Find someone out there to do it. I know where I'm lacking and I get help doing it. I'm I'm great at the coaching. I was spending so much time doing my social media graphics and I am not a creative person. I am not a color wheel type of gal. I just am not. And it would take me days to put together 10 graphics. I'm like, what am I doing? Now I have wonderful helper named Victoria who does all of my social media graphics and I don't have to think about it. It's great. So that's really my advice is know what you love, know what you're good at, do the things that you're good at and hire out if you can. 
the, mm-hmm. the parts that you're not. Um, I was just curious what you delegated first. Was it was it social media or grant marketing? First was probably social media and marketing. I, I you know, I just am not great in that arena. Marketing is really mm-hmm. not my specialty. So I think social media marketing was the first thing that I outsourced. Um, obviously financials, I outsourced mm-hmm. like all of my taxes and things like that. I, I outsourced yeah. that. So yeah. Okay, cool. So I, and I forgot that you'd owned your own business beforehand, but when you mentioned that, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Um, so what made you go from entrepreneur or business owner to intrapreneur and then back out again? Um, like what was the kind of the driving forces behind that? When I took the job with Simon, you mean? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, ironically, he had hired me to organize him and move him. That was my former wow. company. I was an organizer and mover. And he hired me to move him in up the Upper West Side. And uh, by the end of the first day, he was like, you have to work for me full time. And I need you, I need you in my life full time. <laughs> he, he gave me an offer I couldn't refuse pretty much. You know, he, he wanted to change the world and he needed someone to help him do it. Oh, so yeah, um, that really was worth it to me to help him build the world that I, that we both saw. Mm. Um, and then going back out into the world of entrepreneur, you know, I, I, I may go back into the world of being an yeah. entrepreneur again. I'm not, I'm, I know that I, what I'm good at and I know that I can help in certain ways when this company doesn't do it for me anymore, maybe I'll go find something else. Um, that's the joy of free will. We can change and flex and swim and move and figure out what, what the next evolution is. Um, I, I don't know, know exactly how to ask this question, but how you're, I, I just feel like you're so confident in the ability, uh, so confident in that, like everything will kind of work out or I will make everything work out or there doesn't seem to be any barrier for you in terms of um, limits. And I'm just like, which is amazing. But like, is that a, is that just natural or did, was that learned? Because there's so much fear for me. And I know a lot of people there, there's just so much fear about what's next or if this doesn't work out, I don't know what I'm going to do. So how have you now, how have you navigated that? Uh, well, I do think some of it is just my natural behavior. I was always kind sure. of there as a child jumping <laughs> off roof decks and, and tying scarves to my neck because I thought they were capes and I could jump off things. And I, you know, I, I sort of always had an, I can do anything attitude. However, I will say that it is also a learned behavior and it Mm. is something that we as human beings can learn how to do better is take chances. So one of the reasons I'm so comfortable taking chances and doing things is because I've done it so many times before and I've ended up flat on my face and I've gotten up before and I've said, okay, noted (laughs) what happened won't do that again uh and a lot of times we're so afraid of that soul that it stops us from moving forward and i i totally get that but what we don't understand is that magic happens in that fall that's where Mm -hmm. we learn lessons that's where we get to uh identify our strengths and weaknesses from what happened in the past that's where we get to admit our own shortcomings and and figure out how we can become a better version of ourselves every day there's really magical things that happen when we fall down mm-hmm. and so if you can surround yourself with people who are willing to say good fall and that includes your executives that includes your friends that includes your partners in life 
that don't downgrade you for making a mistake. And I think you're, you can try and you can try with little easy decisions, you know, like the next time you're going out to a restaurant, just go to that place that you've never been to before. Just do it. Just jump, close your eyes and jump and just go. Or little things that are not going to rob your bank, you know, at the end of the day, little things like that. And when you start to practice that, like, it's just that, oh, that, that jumping over, uh, you get, you get more comfortable with it. I can't tell you that sometimes I don't have those experiences where I'm like, oh, what am I about to do? That's really, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Um, but, and it's scary, but I still do it anyway, even with the fear. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that, that two things you said were the key that you still, you feel the fear and you're doing it anyway. And you also mentioned surrounding yourself with people who say good fail. And I think I'm just kind of thinking about, you know, all the conversations I've had over the years. And I'm like, not that that's the only the sticking point for a lot of people, but if they could take care of that one piece, they'd be willing to feel that fear and do it anyway, so much more than they probably are. Yeah. Um, so it's really, really, really good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fear is fear. There's a reason our body feels fear and we shouldn't ignore yeah. those signs. It's the same I mean, right. we feel excitement and love and fear and, and anticipation and all those things. And our body has all these things that go on when, when those uh, emotions take a hold and we should pay attention to them, but we shouldn't let them dictate what our moves are going to be. We should notice them, acknowledge them, and then do what we were going to do anyway. Yeah, right, right. That's that's going to say. I love that. Um, okay, I just have so many questions for you. Um, I wanted to ask, because I've been doing a bunch of uh, market research lately, kind of around the assisting community. Um, and I wanted to kind of get your perspective and what you're seeing. What's coming up a lot is this need for the executive assistant or sometimes chiefs of staff to feel more respect um, and for others to better understand what their role is. Mm-hmm. And then coupled coupled with that is also they are they feel this need, and we're kind of talking about this, feel more confident in themselves. So maybe mm-hmm. take those chances and, and do and do new things. Um what are what are you seeing or how have you helped people work through that before? Do you think that's pretty common? I think that's incredibly common, especially in our profession. There's there's really a blanket attitude over the entire administrative and chief of staff profession that says that my my skill set isn't as valuable as visionary skill set. We yeah. as a as a group of people downplay our own skills a lot. Oh, I'm just an organizer. Oh, I'm just an assistant. So mm-hmm. it all unfortunately, sorry to say this, but it all starts within. It all starts with from within us. If we don't value our own skill set, no one else is going to. So when we say, oh, I'm so type A, when we say, you know, oh, I, I really, it's so embarrassing. I love pivot tables and Excel. Like when we start to downplay our mm-hmm. own skills and then other people are doing it, we're like, why are they doing it? Because we're the ones that started that train, you know? So we yeah. have to start appreciating who we are. Uh, and then, you know, the, the respect the respect needs to come from an understanding of what your job function is. You know, as yeah. as an executive assistant, that is an administrative professional or chief of staff. Quite unfortunately, the title doesn't always dictate what we do. 
because mm-hmm. there's such a breadth of stuff that we do that someone who's labeled an executive assistant of one company and then someone at a different company, they might do completely different things. Hell, right. people within the same organization that are have the same title do completely different things. So we really need to understand we need those job descriptions. We need those uh, pieces of paper that can, we can show people what our job function is, what we're responsible for, what our goals are, and how we help bring the CEO or the executive's goals to life. So what, what is that connection? Um, so having job descriptions, having one pagers to tell people, this is how I can help you. I mean, I know it sounds a little uh, constructed and corporate, but you know, if you want to know what I do, here's, here's my one pager. Yes. <laughs> I, I recommend people do that. So I think it's great. Yeah. I love it. Um, and then of course the executive does need to back up the assistant as well, which is yeah, unfortunately one of the harder parts That's is right. the, the, the executive needs to be the bullhorn, if you will, to say, I trust this person, this human with like, Mm-hmm. I trust them with this and say that publicly, say that loudly, say that in meetings, use that person. The more the executive can refer to that person, show that they are trusted, the more that they'll be trusted by other people, which is again, something that we lack a lot. Yeah. Oh, I was talking to somebody earlier today and they, they kind of, it's like, I kind of knew this, but they brought up an interesting point about, um, so I'm curious how, well, I know a little bit about how you felt fell into the EA career. I don't know if you would say that. I guess I would say that about myself too. And, and she was explaining how a lot of us, like we don't go to school to be executive assistants or chiefs of staff. So that like engineers do or directors of marketing do. So the majority of us, I would say, kind of fall into it at one time or another. Do you think that has anything to do with the way the role is viewed and like, we don't need a certain education. Anyone can do it. You don't need to be special, like that sort of mentality. Sure. Absolutely. Cause it, it's more of a behavior and a skill set that points us towards this profession rather than an interest, you know, mm. just in stars. I want to be an astronomer or an astronaut. Um, whereas this is, you know, you, we can say all day long, I love pivot tables and I love Excel spreadsheets. And I don't know where that would point me when I was in school. But right. yeah, well, a lot of us do fall into this profession and it happens yeah. by accident. So, right. but then we fall into it and we're like, oh, there's a profession for this. This is amazing. I, I can't do anything but this for the rest of my existence. And we need to be able to have that pride in our mm-hmm. own work, pride in what we're doing. Never say I'm just an assistant. Never say, oh, I, I sort of do these things for my executive. No, be loud and proud of what we do and, and you know, bang that drum and be who you are and, and be the best damn pivot table creator that there ever was, you know, and own it. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult um, because we did accidentally fall into the profession somehow right but once we fall into that boat we have to start rowing that boat we have to start taking right. taking control of what we've got and and uh and make it make it what it should be for us mm-hmm. yeah and and thankfully i think this converse even in the past you know 10 years or so that i've been kind of 12 years that i've been kind of part of this world i do think the conversations are continuing to be more amplified 
more people are speaking up about the the profession in general. There's more voices in the mix, all of which I greatly appreciate because I do think that's the way it's going to systematically change um, with companies and with founders is if we continue to elevate the role, like you said. Absolutely. Um, what trends are you seeing in, in the workplace in general right now, just with people? Uh, you know, it's exactly that people I've, I've seen in general, a return to the focus on the people as opposed to the focus on the profits. And yeah, this should have been the way that it's been going forever, but you know, thank you, 1980s uh, for setting us in a different direction there. But um, so I, I am seeing more and more companies hiring me to do communications training, um, seeing more and more companies having in-house coaches and in-house leadership help for when they're young, uh, budding uh, leaders or, or transitioning into people manager positions. I'm seeing um, a bigger focus on, on the administrative profession and having it be something that is talked about. So I think, and I'm, I'm thrilled that that we're going back to a focus on the people and what the individual people need in an organization and how we can make that better. Uh, you know, the trends of taking personality tests company-wide, big companies are doing it now, which I love. So I, I, am, um, I, I hope it continues. I hope it continues to grow. And, um, you know, because if, if our people aren't happy, our profits aren't going to go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What would you, um, or what do you think are the most important things that employees need to be focused on right now in order to kind of evolve and or thrive in this new world of work that we're in? Yeah. Um, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but it, we can really change our world by communicating differently with each other mm -hmm. and opening up our perspective to allow new information to break through the, the walls that we keep up in our brains. We, you know, the older we get, the more structured we get and the more things that more ways that our perception stops us from listening to other people, stops mm -hmm. us from hearing other people, stops us from seeing other people. Our perception is dangerous in that way. We're going to see what we want to see. And the older we get, the more that that is a thing. So the more we can sort of keep, keep our doors crafted in our brains and allow new information to come in, allow new perspectives to come in and say, huh, that could change things. I think, um, you know, how we communicate with people will be different. Our, our political scene will be much different. I think a lot of things would be different if we just allowed, allowed people to be messy, weird humans. <laughs> What's one that like one small action that somebody could take to bring this sort of conversation um, to or conversation and or change to their company? You know, I think, uh, and I'm seeing this more and more and more, and I'm doing this a lot with my clients. We're having reset conversations. It doesn't matter how long you've been working with someone. It doesn't matter how long you've been with a colleague or someone's assistant. Having saying on Friday, we're going to reset. We're going to start from scratch and we're going to talk about ourselves. And I'm going to tell you how I like to communicate and you're going to tell me how you like to communicate. And I'm going to tell you some of my triggers and you're going to tell me some of your triggers. And we're going to, we're going to kind of unpeel the onion and talk about whatever it is that we feel comfortable talking about. I've had so many clients who've been working with their executives for years uh, 
plural years and have said things like, you prefer text messages over email? I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) you know how much easier your life is going to be from this point forward. So, uh, you know, it's never, ever, ever too late to have a reset conversation with someone you work with a lot. And just talk about who you are as a human, what your skill set is. If you have personality tests, bring those out. Talk mm-hmm. about your family. Get to know each other as humans. Yeah, I, I love that, it's especially for those long relationships where even you mentioned in the very beginning where whatever was like set, like you take whatever at face value and you're like, things change, people change. And if you're not having those reset conversations, um, you may be operating under the wrong information or wrong assumptions. I love that idea. Yeah. Okay. What are you working on next? What am I working on next? So I'm really, um, I love helping executives find executive assistance. I feel like that was really uh, an interesting pathway for me to take. So uh, I really love, love working on that. So if you're an assistant or an executive out there who's looking for the yin to your yang, I can definitely help you there. Um, and just doing more with these communications courses, really trying to get this out and, and get people willing to talk about talking, mm-hmm. willing to talk about their shortcomings as a communicator and willing to raise their hand and say, I need help. You know, I, I never really did learn how to give feedback. I never did learn how to have a hard conversation. So the more I can get that out there and help people, even if it's one person at a time, right? I want to help people have those hard conversations. That's amazing. I love it. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to see you.